the reading room of the Oxford's Bodleian Library, a former assistant police commander, Brian Langston, was to discover an incredible pamphlet from a century gone by. Langston, now a researcher of mystery and crime, would discover that inside the pamphlet was an incredible 17th century tale of a young boy living in Cornwall, who one night was apparently inexplicably transported a distance of 30 miles by an unknown force. The young boy in question was called Jacob Mutton, and he was a servant employed by the rector of Cardenham, William Hicks, who lived on Bodmin Moor in Cornwall. Bodmin Moor is England's rugged southwestern tip and a designated area of outstanding natural beauty. It's a wild, rugged and bleak, yet beautiful, heather-covered granite moorland. Here, the servant boy Jacob Mutton lived, and he was described as an honest and hard-working employee by the rector and all others who knew him. The event in question occurred sometime after 8pm on Sunday the 8th of May, 1687. Jacob had just taken himself off to bed in the rectory. He shared a bedroom with another servant boy, who was at the time already in bed. Jacob would later explain that as he began to get undressed for bed, he started to hear a voice, which he described as hollow, and this voice was saying, so ho, so ho, so ho. It sounded as though the voice was coming from a nearby room, and the servant boy went off to investigate. In this other room, he could hear the voice again, but it sounded as if it was coming from outside the window. He approached the window and peered out of it, but he could see nothing in the dark outside. The last memory he had was of looking out the window, until the following morning, when he was found lying unconscious in a countryside lane by folks travelling to market at Stratton Fair. As they roused him, he appeared to be completely baffled about what he was doing lying in the country lane, in a spot he did not recognise at all. He was approximately four miles from the town of Bude and 30 miles from his home at the rectory. The travelling group couldn't just leave him there, all alone and confused, and so they took him with them to the market fair. Once the fair was over, the group set him on the right road to make his way back home, now a distance of 20 miles from the rectory. He was eventually discovered by other travellers on the road and taken to spend the night in the village of Camelford. The following morning, he continued his journey on foot alone and eventually he arrived back home at the rectory the following day, having walked all night to get home. Fortunately, he had made it home in one piece and physically looked no worse the wear for it. However, the rector noticed that his demeanour appeared changed. The boy was very quiet and he appeared sad. This was not the usual behaviour of this normally cheerful boy, but this demeanour continued as the days passed. The rector, of course, was concerned about where Jacob had been all this time, and when he asked his servant boy about this, all Jacob could explain was that the tall man had taken him over hedges without weariness or hurt, but he could not say what had happened to his companion, the tall man. There the story ends, says Brian Langston. The brevity of the account is fascinating, frustrating, and leaves many unanswered questions. Cornish folklorist Sue Field says, some say the boy was abducted by aliens and thrown out of their flying saucer on the other side of Cornwall and they couldn't work out what to do with him. Some say teleportation and he had flown high above the woods and bogs, tors and moors until he came to Stratton. But some of us know that Cornwall is a land of giants and that Beville Grenville, the king's general, had a giant for a servant named Anthony Payne. In the year of Jacob's journey, 
Anthony Payne was an old, old giant, and needed a servant of his own to take care of him. Giants look after their own, and rumour had it that a giant, called Soho, went looking for a servant for Payne. He peered in many attic windows until he spotted Jacob, and thought he would do. So he grabbed him through the window bar and strode over the moor. Well, that's one version, but who really was this mysterious stranger, the tall man, and what did he want with Jacob? One young lady, a few years ago, said, You've heard of the Slender Man, right? But have you heard of the Slender Woman, of the Hachisaku-sama, which means Mrs. Eight Feet Tall? She said, My grandparents lived in a small village in Japan. Every summer, my parents would take me there on holiday to visit them. The last time I saw them was the summer when I was eight years old. My grandparents were inside the house, and I was playing by myself outside in the backyard. I heard a strange thumping sound. I didn't know what it was, and it was hard to figure out where it was coming from. I started looking around, searching for the source of noise, when I noticed something on top of the tall hedges that enclosed the backyard. It was a straw hat, but it wasn't resting on the hedges. It was behind it. That's where the sound was coming from. Then the hat began to move. It stopped at a small gap in the hedge, and I could see a face peering through. It was a woman, but the hedges were very high, almost eight feet tall. I was surprised at how tall the woman was. I wondered if she was wearing stilts or some sort of very high-heeled shoes. Then, just a split second passed, and the woman began to walk off, and the strange noise disappeared with her. She faded into the distance. Very confused, I got up and ran back into the house. My grandparents were in the kitchen. I quickly sat down with them and told them what I'd seen. They didn't really pay attention until I described the sound I'd heard, the thump. Both of them froze. My grandmother's eyes grew big as she put her hand over her mouth. My grandfather looked very serious. He reached for me and grabbed my arm. This is very important, he said, with great intensity in his eyes. How tall was she? I replied, taller than the garden hedge. Where was she standing? When did this happen? What did you do? Did she see you? His questions were spitfire. After I answered him, he left the table and went to the phone and called someone. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but after he finished the conversation, he didn't return to the kitchen. Instead, he walked out the door. Perturbed, I asked my grandmother what was happening. There's something dangerous abducting children in this area, she said. We call it the Hachisakusama. It takes on the appearance of an extremely tall woman. Deep voice makes a thumping sound. A long time ago, it was captured by monks and they managed to confine it in a ruined building on the outskirts of the village, so that it could not escape. But somehow it did. The last time it was seen was 15 years ago. My grandmother added that anyone who saw it was destined to die within a few days. It sounded crazy. I wasn't sure I could believe this. When my grandpa came back, there was a really old woman with him. They took me up to my bedroom, and my grandpa began covering the windows with sheets of paper that had ancient runes written all over them. The ancient old lady placed salt in the corners of my room. She told me that the sun was soon setting and that I must stay in my room now until the next morning. Under no circumstances was I to open my bedroom door, she told me. No matter what, it must remain closed and I must remain inside it. I couldn't believe what was happening. Was I going to die in a few days? I turned on the television to try to take my mind off it all, and surprisingly I did fall eventually to sleep. That was until 1am, when I was woken by the sound of tapping on my bedroom window. I told myself it had to be a tree branch or something. 
Then came a knock at my bedroom door, and I heard my grandpa's voice. Are you okay? If you're scared, let me in and I'll keep you company. I was scared after the knocking on my window had woken me, and I was relieved to hear the sound of my grandpa's voice, so without thinking any more about it, I rushed to the door to open it. But something wasn't right. As I glanced at one of the bowls of salt, I saw that it had turned black. And then I heard the sound again. Thump. Thump. The tapping on my window came again. I fell to the floor and I began to pray. I was terrified. I did this until my clock said 7.30am and it was morning. Very slowly, I opened my bedroom door and ran into my grandparents' room. They told me to pack a few things quickly and they drove me straight to the airport. Apparently, there were others who had escaped the grasp of the tall woman as long as they had left the country and never returned. A few years later, my grandpa got sick, but he refused to allow me to go back to see him. After he died, he left instructions in his will. I was not to come to his funeral. Anthropologist Carmen Blacker studied ancient oral and written law of Japan for her paper, Supernatural Abductions in Japanese Folklore. One tale she discovered was the story of a child in a small rural village in the Archie region who vanished on the evening of September the 30th, 1907. At the time, everyone was busy preparing white rice cakes to be given as offerings to the gods at a festival the following day. When it was discovered that the child was missing, the search for him was begun, but by the next day he had still not been found. When the festival was over and celebrations quieted down, an even more thorough search effort continued all across the village and in the fields and woods, but they still found no sign of the boy, no indication to explain what might have happened to him. Then, all of a sudden, a loud thud was heard on the roof of the house the boy lived in. Some of the villagers climbed up onto the roof to find out what had caused the thud, and to their surprise, they discovered the missing boy now laying prone and unconscious. When they finally managed to rouse him, he told them that he had been standing underneath the large cedar tree when a stranger had appeared and taken him away. He said they had walked over treetops, until eventually he found himself thrust into a tiny place, which turned out to be the roof of his own house. After his odd experience, the boy's mind was said to have never recovered. Carmen Blacker also relates another incident featuring an older boy who lived in the Kamano district a century earlier, on the night of the 19th of May, when he had got out of bed to go to the lavatory. He didn't return. His family searched the lavatory, his bedroom, and then everywhere else in the house, but they couldn't find him. They searched outside, and their search continued for hours until they discovered him, standing on the eaves of the roof, with the top of his hair cut off and his clothes covered with grass. His parents put him to bed and said that he slept for three weeks, then woke to explain what had happened to him. He said that a tall man had appeared, taken him by the hand and flown them up into the sky. He said they'd flown for a great distance, at amazing speeds, stopping here and there on mountain tops. He said he had a marvellous time and would like to have seen more places, but he became worried for his family and so he returned. He said he'd been returned home in one big leap. Another story comes from the 18th century collection called Kaiden Toshiotoko. A young boy had set out from his house in the Sanuki province to go on an errand for his mother. Some peasants working in the fields noticed him, and they watched him with curiosity as he diverted off the dirt path he was walking on and began to run through the fields of wheat. They shouted out to him angrily, asking him why he was trampling their crops. 
but the little boy gave no answer and then simply disappeared. He was running through the field one minute and simply vanished in front of their eyes the next. When they realised he had not fallen into the crops and become hidden and they could not see him anywhere, they eventually went in concern to his mother's house to tell her that her son appeared to have gone missing. Shocked and in fear of what had happened to him, she and her neighbours and all the village turned out in search for him, and their search continued through the following day and night too, desperately trying to find him, but he was not in the fields, and he was nowhere else either. Each night, the villagers would bang on drums and ring bells to alert the boy that they were searching for him, until finally, after many days of this, they eventually gave up looking for him. They'd searched everywhere and found no signs, nor any clues as to what might have happened to him in the field that day. Then suddenly, he was spotted standing on the altar of the local temple not far from the village. The villagers who found him took him straight home to his mother, but he lay unable to speak and seemed to be unconscious for several days. When he finally regained his ability to talk, everyone asked him what had happened to him on the day he was seen running through the field of crops. He replied that two tall men had seized him, pulled him by the hand, and taken him away to many places until they let him rest on the top of a mount. Here, he said, three more of them joined. He said the men played music for him and tossed him up into the air, playing games with him, until an old priest came to them and told them to let him go and to hand over the boy. The boy could remember no more after that, until he woke to find the villagers standing around his bed with worried frowns on their faces. In 1906, three children went into a field and disappeared. The field, called Forty Acres, was situated a mile outside the town of Gloucester, in the county of Gloucestershire, in the west of England, near the Welsh border. The happening was recorded by an author of the time, a Mr Harold T Wilkins, who was actually one of the many who went out into the fields and woods to search for the missing children. The Vaughan children, a boy aged 10, a girl aged 5, and her sister aged 3, were playing in the field when suddenly they were gone. Said Wilkins, we paid particular attention to the corner of the field where the pasture was bordered by tall old elms and a thick hedge of brambles and a deep ditch separating it from a cornfield. Everywhere was probed with sticks and not a stone left unturned. Had a dead dog been dumped there, it would certainly have been found. The strange and inexplicable disappearance of the three young children was reported in the national newspapers and concerned readers sent mail-order checks for money to help with the search, while a reward was put up for any information leading to their whereabouts. When the local vicar called on the children's father to offer his support, their father, described as a rough-and-ready railway brakesman, sent him packing, telling him he did not want a visit from a man of God. Four frantic days later, after repeated searches of the field, the ditch, the woods adjoining the field and all the surrounding area, a ploughman, starting work in the cornfield at 6am, looked over the hedge and saw the three missing children lying asleep in the ditch. The children, when asked by everyone what had happened to them, said they had no idea at all about where they'd been or what had happened to them in the three days and nights they'd been gone. The ploughman was denied any part of the reward money on the grounds that he could have kidnapped the children. But this didn't make any sense, as the reward had not been offered when the three children first disappeared. There was also no evidence to even suggest this was a possibility. 
and the ploughman lived in the tiny village nearby, which was so small that everyone knew everyone else's business intimately. The male child, when he became an adult, continued to say that he had no idea where they'd been or what had happened to them in the three days and three nights they'd been gone.